Welcome to the We Talk Careers podcast brought to you by Women in ETFs. This is Christine Delano, and I'm thrilled you've joined me. If you're pursuing excellence in your own career or intrigued by the hustle required for a career on Wall Street, this podcast is for you. We've made all this advice accessible. Grab your own Thrive Guide with a workbook on leadership skills at christinedelano.com. So put aside that massive to-do list and let's get inspired. On today's episode, we are talking about emotionally safe mentoring. We are about to kick off a season interviewing mentoring pairs and thought it might be useful to talk about the ways to prepare ourselves to create great environments for successful relationships. Dr. L. Carol Scott is a trauma-informed developmental psychologist, TEDx speaker, coach, and number one international best-selling author. Carol is going to bring us the SAS, self-aware success strategies to help us get along better on the adult playgrounds we all play in. And it might not be what you think. Welcome, Dr. Carol, to the We Talk Careers podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really delighted. I'm delighted to have you. I've been thinking a lot about our conversation here. You know, in our relationships and within ourselves, we've all had times where we've thought, now, where did that come from? Or why is this so important to me? Or why am I stuck here? Mm -hmm. And as we open ourselves up to being mentors and sponsors of others' careers, how do we assure that we're both bringing the best of ourselves and creating spaces for others to thrive? So I really look forward to digging into your unique approach and really interested to know more about these rent-free individuals in our heads <laughs> that I'm hearing about. <laughs> but before we go there, before we find out about these uh, folks, um, mm -hmm. tell us a story about why this is so important to you. Well, I grew up in what looked like a really um, kind of comfortable middle-class family. We did have the awfulness of divorce, which in 1963 was astonishing for a middle-class family to have a white middle-class family. Divorce just wasn't a thing back then. Um, right. But of course, now that's very, very different. But I, you know, to the outside world, I'm sure we looked like we were pretty functioning pretty well. Five kids, I was in the middle. And Midwest, middle-class, middle everything, you know, just pretty normal, average folks. And underneath the screen, there was all this hidden dysfunction and trauma production. And so I entered college thinking I was going to be a shrink. I thought I'd be a psychiatrist, psychologist, somebody who did therapy, right? And as just one of those, you got to take this many classes in this area kind of classes. I took introduction to child development. And I had, <laughs> I had a spiritual awakening, I think is the best way to say it. Literally child development grabbed a hold of me by my emotional, psychological, spiritual shirt front and said, yeah, no, you're coming with us. Come on. Child development is your thing. And so I actually switched majors to child development really early in my college career and without any clue as to what was ahead of me. But as I pursued that learning curve and learned about the impact of experiences on young children and started to understand early childhood as a shaper of who we are as adults, particularly a shaper of who we are as relational beings, as people who are in relationship with each other. Um, I started to see the importance in my own life. And then I really woke up to the importance in my own life. I like did the things to recover, went to therapy, quit using alcohol as an excuse to uh, not pay attention to my past, you know, 
did the things to recover and create a different alternative for myself. And I now get to help other people see how their early development, this is not a class in child development for you as a parent, although it will feel like one sometimes when I talk. But what this is, is a child development class for you as an adult to say, you look, a whole bunch of who you are and how you get along with people happened, was developed, was created, was wired into you before you were three years old and you don't remember a bit of it and you had no say in it. So let's take a look at how that's going and let's, you know, maybe make some adjustments because you may not be a safe person for other people if you haven't really taken a look at how that went for you. And so child development, child development 15 was the number of the class, changed my complete life, changed my professional trajectory, changed my career. We talk a lot about unconscious biases, but it sounds like there's a lot of unconscious noun, insert noun, in in us that really do drive the way that we behave. So take us into this from maybe a key of mentoring. So what is it to be emotionally safe when we mentor or emotionally safe even just in our careers? I think, um, although I wouldn't want to confuse or overlap the two, I think that the role of mentor has a great deal in common with the role of a parent. Um, and one of the, the key features of both roles, I think, that make them so alike is the need to enter with uh, objective um, curiosity with a, a, a learner's mind, a creative point of view. I don't know this person that I am mentoring. And vice versa for the mentee, the protege, I don't know this mentor. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know who this person is. So this is going to be a learning process. We're going to get to know how the other person thinks about things that is different from how we think about the same things. And there will be differences all along the way. So it's a, it's a relationship building process that is between two unique individuals. And that's true of a parent and a child as well. Although we sometimes forget that the child is a unique individual. They are. And so as an adult, you will mentor as you were parented first, before you learn the skills, before you develop intentionality around your mentoring, around your parenting even as well. But until you develop intentionality about it, you'll simply do what you were wired to do based on what the adults around you did when you were between birth and three years of age. And so what I am doing is saying, here are some touch points of child development. Here are seven strategies that children use. And I call them the self-aware success strategies because for us as an adult, your SAS, your self-aware success strategies, your SAS is what is your social and emotional being. And it all was created from birth to seven without a lot of memory uh, of the process for you right now. And so those strategies, though, those are the successful ones that kids bring naturally to the playground. And they're powerful and they're good for authentic relationships. They're things like trust and the independence to know who you are. So defining how I talk about leadership and mentorship and career is to think about, are you self-aware about the strategies that you bring? And are you ready to put your own oxygen mask on first? Are you ready to take a look at your own strategies for getting along with people? So when I first started out in mentoring, one of the big pieces of advice that I got from a mentor actually was to listen not only to what is being said, but how it's being said Mm -hmm. and what's not being said. 
-hmm. And the big word in that was listen, right? Um, And I sort of recognized up front that I tend to like to listen a little bit in order to then figure out what I'm going to say or how I can sort of characterize what's being thought, how I could headline it back to them. You know, it's all I'm listening with this filter that it's about me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you said, you know, this idea of objective curiosity, the starting with I don't know about this person, but I want to learn more, seems like listening might be a big thing (laughs) that Mm -hmm. was probably established early on in my life as to how I kind of approached the world. So I think that's rather fascinating to me. Yes. I personally am right now in my life cultivating um, the practice of greater presence when I'm listening, staying focused until the person is done talking, listening to everything they're saying. And then many times following that with a question, can you say some more about that? Is there a way you can clarify this part of that for me? I'd love more information about. Because the more I stay curious and the, the less quickly I jump to, I understand this. This fits with my little point of understanding this is the way I already understand the world and that fits Um, because that's our natural bent as human beings that's not something we have to be embarrassed about doing that's the way our minds work we kind of go toward the things that already fit with what we know that appear to align and so it's easy to assume that thing that person just said makes them be like me in this way we are now in alignment in this particular way but are we really did I understand Mm. them correctly did I really get what they meant? And maybe I want to explore that a little more deeply and ask a few more questions. I think the the statement, wow, that's interesting. Can you tell me some more about that is like one of the most valuable tools in my relationship arsenal. <laughs> I don't like the word arsenal. That's, that's weapon. In my relationship toolkit, that sentence, that's interesting. I'd like to know some more about that. And as we think about getting practical with this, that's an incredibly practical piece of advice. Um, and, and I think it takes practice, right? You know, it's like the idea of like slowing yourself down and not wanting to like tell your own story or show the alignment really quick. Um, that idea of, you know, really drilling into whether there is alignment or where are the differences that we could actually explore in, in a safe space. So let's get more practical. Um, okay. So what are some more step-by-step advice? And you you introduced this idea of SAS um, mm-hmm. and the self-awareness of it. How are we to be practical when we are working with other people? Very good question. Well, and let me just get spell the SAS out here for a, for a minute so we know what we're talking about. So I mentioned trust. That's the natural strategy of the infant. The newborn infant child is to trust that their needs will be met. So we need adult relationships in which our interpersonal needs are met. Independence is the toddler's really basic strategy. They just express themselves and say, this is who I am. Faith is imagination, curiosity, exploration, um, the belief in things that are unseen and unproven is the three-year-old child's strategy. That's the way they attack the world. Negotiation is the four-year-old child's strategy. Vision is the five-year-old child's strategy. Compromise at six acceptance at seven. So trust, independence, faith, negotiation, vision, compromise, acceptance. Those are the seven of what I call the self-aware success strategies. And they all begin as adults for us. If we didn't get to keep using, so here's the way I look at this. You started using that strategy naturally. It, It grew right out of your developmental trajectory. It was normal and predictable that you would start using that strategy around a certain age. And so you did. 
And depending on how the grownups in your life responded to that strategy for interpersonal relationship, you either got to keep it and build it stronger and get really good at it and be successful at it now as an adult, or you lost track of it. You know, it's like it's still there, but you don't really know how to be independent. You're very codependent, maybe, or you're really used to being other people's victim, or you're really used to being the bully in the negotiating table. You're not a negotiator, you're a bully. Push people around, you make them do what you want. You know, so we adapt to maladaptive alternative strategies if we don't get to use the natural ones. And so our adult work always begins then with the self-awareness. If we're going to have an opportunity for what I call my development do-overs, if you want to do it again, how it should have gone when you were six months old, three years old, six years old, then you have to become aware of how it's working for you right now. How does trust look in your interpersonal relationships? Do you know what it is to need things from other people interpersonally? And are you aware that you're getting your needs met? Do you know who's meeting those needs? How does that work for you right now? You have to take a look. You have to sit down and slow down your life for a minute and say, okay, I'm not going to think about the financial report. I'm going to think about how am I doing at getting my needs met interpersonally at work? So I, I, I love this because if you're a listener out there, <laughs> did you like take out a sticky note and try to <laughs> jot down those seven? <laughs> um, so we have something called the Thrive Guide. So we'll we'll summarize some of this in there as well and then get links out that Dr. Carol, you know, helps us with so that um, you don't have to worry too much if you're in the car or something like that listening that you no, didn't get all this down. No, no. But well, and I'd like to offer people a, a little gift that will give them all that information too. And we get closer to the end of the show, we can spell that out. Wonderful. Wonderful. And I, I like that idea of that you're maladaptive to things that you <laughs> needed to have learned before. So let's even dive deeper into this. So we put away the financial report. We've started to do the self-assessment. Can we rely on our own self-assessment? Do we bring people into that to say, hey, help me tease out some of this? Or do you recommend that people kind of work on it on their own as to where they feel are their weaknesses? Oh, that's a terrific question, too. And I, I really feel that it has to be independent. It has to be tailored to, unique to the person. For some people, it might be very safe and they might have people in their lives that they could bring in to be objective and curious with them about who they are and how they're doing with that stuff. They might have people in their lives whose opinion they value. Um, and there might be other people for whom that's really not a possibility, but they can, they're pretty self-reflective and they can do it. Um, on their own. And I have good tools. My development do-over tools really help people. For example, when we're looking at trust, when we're looking at the infant success strategy of trust, you know, infants are born pretty helpless. Well, entirely helpless. As a matter of fact, humans are the most helpless newborn infant species, I believe. I don't think we need taking care of, we need taking care of way more than any other species does for the longer period of time. And so all they can do is trust us to meet their needs. That's it. That's all they got. I trust you will feed me because here I am and I can't feed myself. So if I know as an adult what I need from people interpersonally, it's no longer about a bottle in my mouth or a dry diaper. It's more about how I am seen, how I am supported, how I'm heard, how I'm valued. Do I seem to feel like I have worth in other people's minds? Those needs are typical human needs that we all have, but we don't like to talk about them. We don't like to be needy. But we have to get them out in the light of day and say, yes, 
I need other people to tell me I did a good job when I did one. I need that. And to be okay with it. <laughs> to, to help, what if we could help our, our protégés in a mentoring relationship feel comfortable with asking for praise, asking for the pat on the head, you know, in a professional way, but letting ourselves need those kinds of things from each other in um, a professional environment. What if we could get those needs met because we knew what they were? And so if I know that I need somebody to tell me good job, then I'm going to make sure that in my day-to-day at work, I create an environment in which people tell me I did a good job when I do one. I don't want to fake praise when I mess up, but I like to be told that I did a good job. And I think it become, you know, it's part of that recovery from my childhood of always being told when I didn't do a good job, but hardly ever hearing when I did a good job. So now I kind of crave it and I'm okay with it. Just tell me I did a good job. Tell me I'm great. I'll be like, thank you. So in that example, if you are, say, your mentee or someone that you're mutually mentoring, how is it that you ask the right questions to maybe reveal some of those needs? Like, how do you how do you have kind of that safe conversation? You know, because I do this with strangers, you know, in a coaching environment, in a training environment, I'm doing this process that is deep, uh, emotional, personal almost shadow work for some people, you know, it's like really looking at themselves in a way they haven't before. Um, when I ask people to do that, I allow them to do it privately for one thing. You know, you don't have to share the results of this with me, but here's a categorizer. Here's a 12 category ways in which humans need each other. Here's 12 ways in which humans need each other. Take a look at this list and see which ones sort of resonate for you. Um, and in your life, if you feel like you have a need that's related to work, your worth as a person. What does that look like? How does that manifest for you? Is it that you like to hear that you did a good job? Is that how you you know feel like you get your need for self-worth met? If you have a need for to shine and be excellent, to show how, how good you are at something, um, what's that look like for you? How do you go about doing that? So here's a tool to guide you. It's a gentle self-reflection process. And then you can share with me if you want to, whatever about that. Or you just take the learning in and you start thinking about, oh, next step, who's meeting those needs for you? You know, do you have somebody in your life who meets that need for you? Are you paying attention to getting the need met? I used to always say I had to find people to tell me that I was good at what I did because it wasn't any part of my natural, like my family environment. I had to find other people to tell me. So now I'm a speaker. <laughs> people tell me I'm good at what I do all the time. And I just smile and say, thank you so much. That's lovely to hear. It is lovely to hear. For it sure. is. Right. And so we have tools to reflect on ourselves. We have tools to enable sharing with each other if we feel comfortable. Um, and we have tools to really integrate and produce behavior change. Because I think that's really the key. Our brains were wired from birth to three, literally completely hardwired from birth to three. And so all of this stuff is wired into us and we have to change our behavior in order to kind of repattern the neural connections that drive the behavior that we have now. So I think that's a very gentle way to move into it is let's just say, I'm going to do this one thing differently tomorrow. I'm going to trust that person to tell me something good that I did. I'm going to ask for praise from that person and try out my, this is what I trust you for on a new person. 
I recognize that my career in finance over so many years, I really enjoyed critique. That actually is is what Mm -hmm. drove me is like that idea of like collaborating over something, Mm -hmm. sort of really digging into an idea and making it better and being part of making something better. And so Mm -hmm. having critical minds that were to me, encouragement came in the form of someone understanding what I was trying to do mm-hmm. and like asking me great questions and leaning into it. And now that I've transitioned, uh, not completely out, but um, still do quite a bit in finance, but I'm also a fiction writer, I recognize how important it is to me to find critique and yeah. how different I can be from other writers who have a hard time with like, they need to hear a whole bunch of really good things before you get the sort of pithy, you know, like this may not be working. And I'm always trying to flip things for people. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. Tell me that you like this part, but really, 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 I want the list of 10 things that I can do better Um, because that's, that's what drives me. And not everyone believes me, (laughs) you know, they're like, well, you know, I really want to, I'm like, no, no, you, you know, you can, you can cut off that part of the email that, that, that pats me on the head. I, I really do want the stuff that, yeah. that, you know, helps propel me. But that was a big awakening to me from moving out of a full-time position where critique was a huge part of what I did to a place where critique was really couched. Yeah. And I think really nicely, you know, I actually appreciate, and I've learned a lot about how to give critique by starting with, you know, wonderful things and really appreciating the work that's there. But it was definitely an awareness to me on, in how I'm wired. Have you discovered things like that over the course of, of working through this with others? Yes. And I, I'm so glad you brought that up. And I think it's quite amusing that you did it in the context of writing, because my wonderful mother, who was not good at patting me on the head and saying, good job, who was so good at critiquing, she was a writing professional writing teacher. So, you know, that I, she always, she learned the critique. Yes, I I did. Exactly. But also I need the the people who will, and most of us do need the people who will give it to us straight when we need it straight, who will kick us in the hiney and say, get off the pity pot when we need to hear that message. You know, it's like when we go through, there's a, a, a circle of 12 categories of human needs that I use as the foundation for this development over. And when we go through that circle, the kinds of things we need from each other are quite diverse. And it isn't just about the pat on the head. It's also about the correction and the motivation to do something extremely well and the willingness to allow us to change. Like think about transitioning from one phase of your life to another phase of your life and how different you are in your 20s versus in your 40s versus in your 60s. Over the course of a lifetime, there's like remaking yourself. That needs to also be accepted as something that we need to do. So when we find all the different ways in which we need people, then we can also say, you know, there's, okay, I got 12 here. I got one for each of these 12 categories, Carol. That seems like a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah. Well, which are the three or four that kind of slap you around a little bit when you think about them? (laughs) Which are the three or four that make you say, wow, those are things that I really have deep needs for. Those are really, really important to me. Those are the ones we want to work on repatterning your behavior. Let's look around at your life now. Who's meeting the need? Because I, what we need to do is find the patterns where we're hurting ourselves and not serving ourselves well as professionals and as human beings, frankly. So if I know that I need that, that pat on the head 
And I keep going back to that mother who can't give it to me and try to get it from her. I am essentially beating my head against a brick wall of never going to happen. And if I have 1,400 friends who will listen to me out from a stage, or if I have five friends in my social media feed who will listen to me and tell me good job, why wouldn't I go to them? Why would I not turn to and feel the reward, the gift of that need being met somewhere else? Why do I keep going back to the one place it can't? The, the dry well is not the place to go get the drink. <laughs> and we got to make sure that the drinks that we need, the emotional and social uh, nourishment that we need as adults is being relieved. It's, we're getting the quaff. We're getting the drink somewhere. We're getting the, the relief of the thirst or the hunger. And so we, if we aren't getting it from the people who are in our immediate close personal lives, our family and our friends, then we're going to get it somewhere else. We're going to try to get it somewhere else. At work, we need to be conscious of those patterns. I'm not getting my need met for affirmation at home, and I'm trying to get it met at work. What's that doing to my relationships at work? How's that going for me? Okay, so we can start to really think about the complexities of the pattern. And swinging back to what you said about you know, you can have a longer list. If you actually sit down and do this mm -hmm. piece of it, where you're actually looking through these seven areas, you are becoming more self-aware of your patterns and your behaviors. You may come up with a long list of things yeah. that would be great to both tweak and, you know, completely dig up and, and redo. I really like um, that advice of basically leaning into the places where you're feeling the most called to do so. We had mm -hmm. Emily Meyer on the show talking about intellectual curiosity. You talked about the objective curiosity, that idea of sort of following that curiosity, following where you're drawn into first. So you're not sort of overwhelmed by I've got a laundry list of things that, you know, would be great to sort of fix about me. But <laughs> Instead, you know, let's let's lean into the the places where we keep kind of coming back to, and really have some some weight behind it. Yeah. Um, we've also talked on this podcast about sort of a strengths based approach to things too. Is yeah, yeah. being very cognizant of the things of places where you have strengths, um, because that also identifies you know, weaknesses where you might have others that you know come in to sort of surround you in a team building atmosphere. So I think that balance is really great. The idea of knowing your strengths, but also knowing the, the patterns that maybe are keeping your strengths from propelling yes. your career and your relationships. Yes. yes. And I, I think that that is such a smart thing to say about particularly the very the first three of the success strategies, I think, are the heart of who we are, all of us. It's the, the trust, the independence and the faith. So it's my ability to get my needs met in interpersonal emotional relationships throughout my life in all the in all the play all the adult playgrounds where I play the way I like to think of it so I need to get my needs met that's what trust is all about I need to know who I am I need to express myself as a unique individual and so that success strategy of independence for the toddler we add what you think what you feel and what you want to what you need so now what you need think feel and want there is a real essential uniqueness about you no one else has the exact same combination of things you need, things you feel, things you think, and things you want. Everybody has that pattern completely uniquely. And so that's what we need to discover about each other. That's what toddlers are trying to be and discover about other people. And then at three, the faith strategy of letting all of the rules and, and 
mechanics of life go and just believing in possibilities. Having faith that you can grow up to be a unicorn, frankly, at three is pretty common. You know, but believing that um, whatever I think I can do, I can do. The original of that is the three-year-old's mantra. And so those three things to me are, if you can really understand those three things about yourself, how they manifest, how they were influenced, how the development of those strategies was influenced by your grown-ups when you were birthed to three years old. What was your childhood like? What was your family life like? What was your culture like? How did you get to be the person you are? Then you can take a look at, okay, I come by this honestly. I can forgive my neural wiring. And now I want to be making some changes and some tweaks here. Or maybe I want to dig this all up and start all over again. But it gives me the power. It empowers me to be the kind of professional I want to be and the kind of mentor I want to be. Right. So let's pause there for a moment. Probably our, we have one, we have a question at the end that we always ask, but um, before we go there, I wanted to talk a little bit about that, you know, advice for that mentor that's maybe just getting into this. You want to empower them. You know, maybe they're feeling a little uncomfortable. Like what if I run up into some issues with my mentee that maybe Mm -hmm. haven't worked through some of this? Like what is your advice for them as they think about how their brain is wired, how those that they're working with are wired. What are some ways that they can feel safe in this relationship? Again, my number one advice to everybody is always, no matter what the relationship is we're talking about, put your own oxygen mask on first. Put your oxygen mask on now. All of us influence each other's lives. Everyone um, listening influences the life of someone else, from young people to old people. And so the way you interact with people, your tone of voice, your curiosity, your ability to be comfortable being who you are, that's the independent success strategy, just being exactly who you are, knowing that that's okay. You're in a, that's a superpower. You know, if you have that, you have that authentically, whew, ain't nothing can stop you. So, you know, find the places in which you're stumbling interpersonally and put your own oxygen mask on. And then slow down as, when you meet someone new and um, recognize that there are unique strengths in each person's way of being and expressing in the world. And just lean all the way into all the diversity in the world. You know, conformity is so 1950s. I was born in 1954. And I have seen a great, vast sea change in the culture around conformity and diversity. And frankly, I like where we are. I wouldn't go back to quote the olden days at all, ever. No, thank you. I love the opportunity to see the gifts and the treasures and uh, the power that every single individual can bring. And if we could really optimize, if we could take the brakes off, all the early childhood brakes could come off of the ways in which people have sort of curated their essential self down to something acceptable to the world. Oh my gosh, what we could manifest in this world, the, the greatness would be amazing and unending. <laughs> yes. So I, I said I would move on to the last question and, and then talk a little bit more about how they can get um, more information from you. But I want to go back to what I introduced in the beginning of these rent-free individuals. So oh, yeah, we didn't talk about that. <laughs> well, you know, so I, I talk about that in the context of the success strategy of, of independence. When you have an, in, when you have what I call independence as a success strategy for your interpersonal life, you are oh, very aware that who you are is just one 
perspective out of 8 billion in the world. You're looking at the world and you're seeing, you know, the neuroscience says you get like uh, 11 billion bits of data coming at your sensory organs every second. And you take in, oh, 50 bits out of 11 billion bits of information or 11 million bits. This is a huge number. Okay, so you're missing most of what's happening in the world. And the person sitting right next to you got a different 50 bits than you did. And now you're going to, based on the experiences you've had in life, you're going to interpret those little 50 bits per second. And you're going to tell yourself that you know what's going on. You're going to understand what's happening in the room. You're going to understand the conversation you're having with this person. Um, when you have independence, you're aware of that. And you're like, hmm, I don't really understand anything. But when you don't have that, what happens is you take in little bits of information like the tone of voice, the expression on the other person's face, and you know that they think something about you or they feel a certain way about you or that they have done something to you. So when you don't have independence, what you get a lot is codependence where you're constantly trying to figure out what other people think of you and what they want from you. And you're trying to like do what they want. That's sort of the essence of codependence. Okay, so that becomes a person who's living rent-free in your head and running the show for you. You've got somebody else who is really making the decisions of your life because all of your decisions are them reference, not you reference, because you have lost track of who you are. So the toddler's independence is all about regaining, you know, as our birthright, this is who I am. This is what I think right now in this moment. This is what I want. And this is what I feel. And if we ever have any doubt that we're not good at this, just ask any, just do this with women. It works every time. A room full of four or more women are going to decide where to go to lunch together. And all you have to do is say, where should we go eat? That's the test. And if the conversation goes on for longer than five minutes without someone suggesting a restaurant, you're in a normal room of women without the success strategy of independence. <laughs> because everybody wants to do what everybody else wants to do. Oh, I don't yes. care. Let's go where you want. I don't care. You pick. I picked last time. Yeah, like, who can make a decision here? No one. <laughs> I think my example too is there's been so many times over my career where we're in a meeting, so many meetings, right? And yeah. I leave the meeting and I'll talk to my boss or a coworker about what really happened there. Yeah. What we learned from that, what, you know, reason why certain questions weren't asked or certain things were decided. And I learned so much. Yeah. from those conversations right after the meeting, because what I thought happened isn't the same as what anyone right. that I talked to about what <laughs> happened in that meeting. And as I progressed in my career, it became harder and harder to fully discern all of the pieces. And so relying on others in that room to sort of debrief after a meeting became a huge strategy for me, yeah. because I recognized that I couldn't sitting in these rooms always know where everyone was coming from. And since so many of our projects right. were so collaborative, it was that idea of, I'm already going to know that I'm incapable of taking in more than I can. And so therefore, I'm going to rely on the people around me to help really um, translate what we all just saw into something that's actually going to help us move forward. So brilliant. thank you for that reminder. Yeah, brilliant. we don't know anything, really. It's best to just keep that in mind. I don't know anything. For sure. 
right? So let's collect a whole bunch of us and maybe we'll have something. Exactly, exactly. So as I mentioned, I am a fiction writer. Um, so I always ask the question of folks on the show to recommend a fiction or nonfiction book, something that maybe opens up the minds and the creative thoughts and the curiosity of our listeners. So what do you have for us today? Well, I am currently enrolled in a course of study called Advanced Consciousness Studies. And uh, it's a 27-week class in three nine-week terms. And we have just dived into term two and my book report book. So me and one other person are reading this book, and we're going to share what we learn with the rest of the group. And it is called, it's just going to arrive today from Amazon, The Wisdom of Not Knowing, Discovering a Life of Wonder by Embracing Uncertainty. Don't you think that sounds great for me? <laughs> I think it sounds great for everyone, especially <laughs> right? in a in a world of this idea of, you know, politics. Everyone has to have a stance on everything. Like everybody oh. has to have their like pitch on why something is right or wrong or anything else. It's really cool to have this idea of embracing uncertainty and being open. So, yeah. 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 Love it. I, I look forward to hearing from you on, on how that <laughs> okay. went. After I read it, I'll tell you how it is. Excellent. I, I look forward to that, Carol. So tell us, you know, after this very rich conversation that has so much applicability across parenting and work relationships and mentoring and all of that, how can people learn more? Um, I would like to send, first of all, a little book ad. I have a 28-page PDF cover to cover. If you send me an email at um, carol at lcarolscott.com, I will put you on my mailing list, of course, and I will send that little PDF book ad back to you explains um, all seven of the self-aware success strategies and how you can make your life a little more sassy. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. And we'll put that link, um, your email into right. our um, show notes, and I will put um, a blurb on that in the Thrive Guide as well, so that people who access to that um, will have that encouragement as well. Thank you so much, Carol, for your time today. I really, I think these kind of conversations are sometimes rare in an industry that's always just sort of driving forward, taking a step back, um, looking to be introspective and self-aware. Uh, I love the reminder. Thank you so much. Thank you, Christine, for having me. You asked great questions. It was a wonderful conversation. Really grateful. Thank you. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. I hope this is not just information, but you let it be transformational in how you think about your career. I'm rooting for you. To find out more about diversity, opportunity, and events in the exchange-traded fund industry, please visit womeninetfs.com. And while it lasts, be sure to grab your Thrive Guide on becoming the leader you want to be. You can download it at with a K, christinedelano.com. If you haven't subscribed to We Talk Careers podcast, please make sure you do so. And if there's a topic you'd like us to tackle, let us know. All links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening.